Good morning. Welcome to Life Church. Like Dustin said, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. It really is my honor to be able to preach this weekend. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn them to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we will get there in just a second. But, you know, we're in this series called Mixed Tape. And I, I have to be honest with you that I believe the reason why I am married to my wife today is because of mixtapes. You laugh, but it's true. I, we were in high school. We went to high school together, but we never dated in high school. And it's not because I didn't want to, to catch my drift. So my now wife, Amanda, at the time had a boyfriend in high school, and it was not me. And I had to figure out ways that I could subtly drop the hint that my undying love for you without actually saying it because I didn't want to get beat up by her boyfriend. And so what do you do? You make her a mix, you know? So I'd make a mixtape and I'd have all these songs, but then I'd drop a few zingers in there. You know, I'd just drop some songs in there that would communicate, and I had to find songs that would communicate, I like being your friend and I'm okay being your, your friend, but if you're open to it, I'd also like to be your husband someday. So <laughs> very specific song. And so every... Mixtape, we were talking about it last night. I'm like, I think every single mixtape I ever made her or CD or whatever it was, I, uh, I threw in the song, Brian McKnight, Back at One. You guys remember that song? <laughs> it's a good song right there. One, you're like a dream come true. Two, just want to be with you. Three, girl, it's plain to see that you're the only one for me. Four, repeat steps one through three, five, Make you fall in love with me. <laughs> Nothing subtle about that line. If ever I believe that my work is done, then I'll start back at one. And I can tell you, I can thank Brian McKnight and I can thank Mixtapes because I got the girl, we got married, we have four kids, and it's not because I like kids, it's because I like my wife and she likes me. Thank you, Mixtapes. I tell you that for no other reason than to give you a couple minutes to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In this series, we are looking at some of like the highlight reel, greatest hits. And for me, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is one of those passages of Scripture that I think is just so rich in content. It's one of those ones that if we truly understand what Paul's talking about here, and it's, it's one that takes a while to really digest, but it's one that if we understand, we will live differently because of it. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 4 starting in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work within us, but life is at work within you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And then he starts verse 16 with the word therefore. And really what he's doing is he's referring to because of the, the preceding nine verses, this is true. Therefore we do not lose heart. 
Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it will never return void which means if we let it take root in our heart, it will absolutely change our lives. I pray that this writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 would not just be a theological concept, but it would be a spiritual reality for us. I pray that you would speak to us through your word today. In your name, your name we pray. Amen. How many of you have kids? Raise your hand. Raise your hands. A lot, a lot of people have kids. Thank you. So if you have kids, you, you'll understand the dynamic uh, and the bittersweet nature of going out to eat, right? <laughs> On the sweet side, it's like there, there's just days that you're just like, man, the thought of cooking a meal and the thought of cleaning it up afterwards is just enough to drive you to Chick-fil-A, you know? <laughs> and so Amanda and I, we were having one of those days a couple months ago. We were like, let's just, let's just go out to eat. It's just, oh, man, I can't deal. So just one of those days, and so we go out to eat, and we're going to Chick-fil-A, and let me just give you a bit of parenting advice that will revolutionize your life that we've learned. When you go to any restaurant, see all restaurants, they put their menu online now, right? So you can see and you can know what you want to order before you get there. I encourage you to do that and to have your order written down or in your notes on your phone so that you can just rattle it off to the waitress or the cashier or whatever. Um, because what you're doing when you don't do that is you're inviting a poor 16-year-old into your family argument. Because have you ever been there where you're like, your kids are trying to decide what they want and you're like, I'm I've told you 10 times they don't have hamburgers at Chick-fil-A. You can't order, you have to get chicken. And so like there, there's this dynamic going on. And so we're doing that whole deal and get our food. And I love going to Chick-fil-A. My kids love the food and the playground. I love the food, not the playground, but I love the food. I, also, I, I most specifically love the customer service. I love the fact that the person on the other side of the cash register actually looks you in the eye and looks like they want to be there. I, I love that about Chick-fil-A. I hear that's because they have good training. Uh, but at Chick-fil-A, they, um, they say my pleasure when you say thank you. And it's just awesome. And so they bring our food out. And then you know as a parent that the next 10 minutes, you're not going to be eating your food, right? You know that your food will be cold before you actually eat it. So because the next 10 minutes, you have to, like, cut food up and go get more condiments and go get and do a napkin run and go get straws and, oh, we need a knife or a fork or whatever. And then finally, everyone gets settled and, and you get to eat it. I wish that eating at a restaurant was like, you know, the gas mask on an airplane or the, the oxygen mask where you're encouraged to put yours on first, <laughs> otherwise you can't help anyone else. I wish they could just make a rule. Parents, you got to eat first before you help your kid. But anyway, I don't think they're going to do that anytime soon. So we're eating, and as we get everything settled, I notice there's a lot of water all over the table. That's relatively normal with four kids. So I, I don't really think anything of it, clean it up, and move on. Pretty soon, Eli, my four-year-old, he's out of water, and he says, Dad, can I get some more water? And so I take his cup, go bring it up. And uh, they fill it up, say, my pleasure, bring it back to the table, and life is good again. And I notice about three, four minutes later, there's still, there's like more water on the table. Nobody has 
spilled or anything. I'm like, what? Are, okay, there, finally I get smart and realize, you know what, I bet you one of the cups is probably leaking. So I look at the bottom of cups and I take Eli's and sure enough, it's a styrofoam cup like this. There's a little hole that he has jammed his straw all the way through the styrofoam <laughs> cup and so it's leaking everywhere. And so I go up, get a new cup, they take care of that and, and we move on and everything is good. I tell you that story because as I was reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that story was brought to my attention. And I think it was pretty profound because I believe what God was trying to communicate was that just as that cup leaks water, it wasn't gushing water, it was just like a little drip, we too are like that. That we too are like this cup, I have two of them, but this one right here I already put a hole in, just a little tiny hole. We're like this cup and when we become followers of Christ, God fills us with his hope, which is what the water is. But if you can see that, you just see just this little drip that's happening. The hope that fills us will inevitably leak out of us at some point. In fact, it'll leak out of us constantly. That because of the fallen world that we live in, there's going to be a hole in your cup. And so often as Christ followers, we, I like to try to, I'm a, I'm a fix-it type of a guy. Not that I can actually fix things, but I, I can pay somebody to fix things. And, and I like to get it fixed. How do I fix the leak? How do I plug the leak? How do I make the leak go away? How do I avoid the leak altogether? And Paul would say that's not the point. The point is not fixing it. The point is just making sure that you don't give up despite leaking hope. And if you're taking notes today, I believe if, if I could summarize this passage of scripture, I'm going to do this because it's making people nervous and all of that. If I could summarize this passage of scripture into one sentence, it would simply be this. In this life, we will leak hope, but don't give up. In this life, we will leak hope, but don't give up. I believe that is the crux of what Paul is getting at. He's saying you're going to have a leak, and you're going to have times where hope leaks out of you. You might even have times where, where, where hope flows out of you pretty quickly, but the key is just making sure that you don't lose heart. The key is making sure that you don't just give up. The, the key is making sure that you don't just completely run out of hope. And so he gives us some advice. He gives us some, some practical advice on how to do that how to make sure that we don't get to a place where we've just completely depleted ourselves of hope. And so when sin entered the world, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans chapter 8 that because of sin entering the world, that it threw the entire world into chaos. And on this side of eternity, there will always be a leak. There will always be a drip. There will always be sin. There will always be weakness. There will always be things that cause us to leak hope. Paul gives us the answer. Paul gives us the, 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 the way that we combat that. Paul gives us the way that we can just not lose hope in those moments. If you're taking notes today, the first thing he tells us is he says, recognize your humanity. Recognize your humanity. In verse 7, he starts out right away and he says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. He starts out by saying, we're jars of clay. What, is, what does he mean by that? I think there's a little context that will give a little, uh, will be helpful to knowing what he's talking about there, but Paul started the church in Corinth, and he was there for two years, kind of getting everything 
um, set up and established. And right after he left, two years into it, there were false teachers that came in and started speaking against Paul. And they didn't just speak against his doctrine or e- even his character. They were really attacking his, him personally. They were attacking uh, the way he looked. They were attacking his skills or lack thereof. They were attacking, they were saying that he's not a good preacher. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, or chapter 10, verse 10 says, For some say Paul's letters are demanding and forceful, but in person he is weak, and his speeches are worthless. Paul's a great writer, but man, he can't preach at all. His speeches are worthless. I mean, can you imagine? And they attack the way he looks. In, in Greek culture, image was everything. And so people believe that if we could attack somebody the way they looked and their, 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 uh, their weaknesses, if we could really poke at those, people will discredit everything that they have to say. And so they went right at it with him. Uh, Paul, uh, they said that he lacks charisma. He's boring. In fact, if you read the book of Acts, there's an account of him preaching. Paul preaches and somebody falls asleep, falls out of a window and dies. He literally bored somebody to death in the book of Acts. Historians believe that he's not good-looking. They said he th- they thought that he, had, he may have a hunchback. He's balding. He has a kind of a, a big nose. He's not somebody that's very good to look at. He was somebody that had a, something with his eyes that made it difficult to even look at him. They had a, he had some sort of de- deformity. In fact, if you read the book of Galatians chapter 4, it actually goes into detail on that. And he says, I just thank you that the church in Galatia, that you did not turn away from me and stop looking at me. And so there's something that Paul, he just was not, you know, everything. Sometimes you read, you read the letters of Paul and you think it's this, like, big, strong man that came in and had charisma and authority and all that. And they're saying, no, no, that's not Paul. And Paul has a choice how he's going to respond to that. I can imagine how I would respond to that, and I don't think it would be with the level of maturity that, that Paul responds. And so he writes this letter to the church in Corinth, and he's kind of, he's, he's going at some of these false teachers. He's kind of just giving some, some more context and clarity to it. And in verse 7, he starts out, and he just says, guys, what, what did you expect? I'm a clay pot. I'm a jar of clay. What he's getting at, everybody would have understood that a clay pot would be very fragile. It'd break easily. There's nothing special about it. It's dispensable. It's not highly decorated. In fact, in today's culture, I imagine a styrofoam cup would not be that much different than a jar of clay in Paul's day. He's saying, I never claimed to be special. I never claimed to be good-looking and charismatic. I never claimed to be a good preacher. I never claimed all of these things. I'm just a jar of clay. As if to say, guys, if we're going to leak hope and not give up, the first thing we have to realize is that we're human. We have deficiencies. We have weaknesses. We live in a fallen world. In fact, we are surrounded by clay pots. Everywhere we look, everybody, there's nothing special about any of us in it of, of ourselves. It's not about the exterior so often we get fixed on the exterior, making sure everything looks right, making sure everything's just perfect. And Paul would say, that's just, that's a waste of time because we're all just jars of clay. And he goes on and he gives us a second truth that goes hand in hand with the first truth. And you can't have one without the other. He says that we need to realize God's power. 
yeah, recognize your humanity, but realize God's power. He's saying it's not the messenger that's significant, it's the message. We're just a jar of clay, but what's important is what's going on inside of that jar of clay, what the jar of clay is transporting. And inside that jar of clay, he tells the church in Corinth, I have the power of God, not because of anything that I've done, but because of everything that he's done. When he died on the cross for our sins, that he actually gave us the power to, that raised Christ from the dead, he, he gave us that power inside. And so Paul approaches life from this mindset. The worst case scenario for me is that they kill me and I spend an eternity in heaven. That's literally, I, that, that is how Paul looked at life. In fact, you see that in Philippians chapter 1, where he says to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's really looking at it from this worst case scenario is I die and go to heaven. He's like, that's just not that bad of a scenario. And so anything that you throw at me, it doesn't matter if I'm shipwrecked three times. It doesn't matter if I'm beaten, flogged. I mean, the, the 39 lashes that, that almost killed Jesus, Paul got that five times, Scripture records. Everything went wrong for Paul all the time. He was constantly on the run. He was constantly um, at, at fear of his life. He was in prison. He was cold, naked, hungry. I mean, everything you can imagine, Paul is speaking with some credibility. He's, I bet you he could say that nobody in this room has ever dealt with the suffering that Paul did. And yet he says we don't have to lose heart because we have a power on the inside of us that raised Christ from the dead. So Paul kind of sets the table with those two truths in verses 7 through 15. We're human, we're jars of clay, but what's important is the power of God on the inside of that jar. And then he gets to verse 16, 17, and 18, and Paul be becomes extremely practical. And he gives us just a couple of tools that I believe, I, I, I love when, when Paul writes like this because he just gives it to us straight. He says, if, if there, here's a couple things that if you will put into practice in your life, it'll absolutely change the way you live. It'll change your outlook on everything. And the first one he tells us is this, renew your hope daily. Renew your hope daily. In verse 16, again, this is kind of the, the, the key verse of this passage. In fact, I think the entire book of 2 Corinthians is found right here in this verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. He's saying every single day we are renewed. As if to say every single day you're going to be depleted. You don't need to be renewed if you're not depleted. There's this cycle that happens. He's saying every day we are renewed. And I sometimes wonder why God made us that way. Because when you look at even just our, our, the human side, we, we look at the fact that we have to eat every day, right? And drink, and in fact, we eat multiple times per day. I mean, you go two, three hours without eating, and you start to feel it. Like, you can tell, oh, I could use a snack right now, right? So there's this, this constant churn of needing to replenish ourselves physically. Sleep, same way. It's this, you can tell, I mean, I'll tell you, um, Friday night, my kids, every year, they want to camp in our backyard at least one time in the summer. And so that involves me sleeping 
on a hard ground. It hasn't rained in a little while, and so I'm just telling you, I'm still feeling it right now, but, and, and I slept like four hours because apparently birds start chirping at like 3 a.m., and, and there's just a big tree right out there. There's just tons of them. So anyway, I'm a little tired. I can feel it because I didn't get enough sleep. There's this constant deplete, replenish, deplete, replenish. It's that, that's just the way that we were made. And, and, and Paul is saying that's the same way it is with our spirit. Yes, that's physically the rhythm, and we understand the physical rhythm, but what we often don't understand is the spiritual rhythm that's the exact same way. In fact, uh, the book of uh, Lamentations, it talks about how his mercies are new every morning, that Today's mercies are not designed for tomorrow. They're designed for today. Jesus even says uh, in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, that tomorrow will have enough trouble of its own, so just, just focus on today. And when you pair those verses together, it just tells you there's always going to be problems every single day, and there's always going to be new mercies for those problems every single day. Jesus says specifically to his disciples, this is how you're to pray. Give us today our daily bread. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the next day. Just give us what we need. Give us our spiritual nourishment today. That's the way we were designed to live our lives. And as a Christ follower, Paul is saying to us, stop trying to fix the leak. Stop trying to plug the leak. That's not going to work. What he's saying is just make sure that as you have water coming out of you, that you make sure that you fill it with hope too. Make sure that you're replenishing every single day. Paul's telling us if we will understand that rhythm, it will absolutely change the way we live. It'll absolutely change the way we go through struggles and trials. I could preach a whole sermon on what does it look like to renew your hope daily? What does that actually look like? And, uh, but for the sake of time, just a, a few things. I, I, I believe that spending time in prayer is one of those things that fills your cup with hope. I believe that uh, filling your mind with knowledge about who God is through reading your Bible and, and studying the Word of God and getting a book and, and a podcast. In fact, the, the word renew, is th this same word is used twice in the New Testament. It's used right here, and it's used in Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. And, and in that version, it actually says to renew your mind with knowledge, to like make sure that you are filling your mind with knowledge about the things of God and who God is and learning his character and memorizing scripture and whatever that looks like to make sure that you know the word of God and that it's not just in your head, but you make it go to your heart. Or maybe it's just spending time with other Christ followers, having other people in your life that are an encouragement to you. I mean, there's some people in my life that I know if I'm going through a tough time, I can call and they're going to encourage me with scripture. They're going to just be somebody that's going to speak life into me. We need that, or we're going, to, we're going to lose heart. We're going to give up very quickly. Or maybe it's serving other people. We were designed in a way that when we serve others, it replenishes us. It's the upside-down kingdom of God. Renew your hope daily. The last thing Paul tells us is realign your priorities. Realign your priorities. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Paul says this, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen 
is eternal. There was nothing light about Paul's affliction. And yet he says it's light. I just talked about some of the things that Paul went through. Paul went through a lot. There was nothing momentary about his affliction, and yet Paul calls his affliction momentary. I mean, from the day he became a Christ follower to the day he took his last breath and was beheaded, every, every day in between, he, he, he faced persecution. In fact, I, there's no record in, in Scripture that Paul went off and took like a sabbatical or a vacation from any of it. He just went day after day after day. And I'm not saying you shouldn't take vacations, by the way. I'm just saying that he just had this, he was constantly persecuted. There was nothing momentary and there was nothing light about his affliction, and yet that's how he categorizes it. That's, how, that's, that's what he says about it. How can that be? And I believe this is really kind of uh, what Paul is getting at is he's saying that our affliction is momentary and light in comparison to eternity. He's saying the, the, the secret, I'll break it down real simple, the, the secret to solving your problems is not to solve your problems. The secret to solving your problems is having something in your life that will outweigh your problems. The only thing that will ever outweigh your problems are things that have eternal significance. He's saying if you focus on the temporary, if you, if you keep your mind and, and eyes on what is right in front of you, you will lose heart. There are enough things in this world that will overtake you. But when we set our mind and set our eyes on, on things that are, eterni- uh, are, that are eternal, that's the only way you're ever going to not lose heart in those moments. What would happen if we shifted our focus from the temporary to the eternal? Paul said that's the only way that you're not going to lose heart. Sometimes it's hard to really envision what does that look like. Okay, to focus on the eternal, to, like what does that mean? Does that mean I'm just like praying 24-7? Like what does that really look like? And I saw this lived out in my mom and in my grandmother about five years ago. And I, I really feel like that was a moment where this, these verses finally clicked for me where I saw what that meant. About five years ago, a little less than five years ago, I had, got one of those phone calls that kind of changes your life type of a phone call. I was actually here at the church. I was working. I was in a meeting. I was actually right on the other side of this wall in a meeting. And I got two phone calls from my sister that I didn't answer. And then I get one from my dad that I didn't answer. And then it, it, it hit me that I'm, I kind of felt that pit in my stomach a little bit, like... I wonder what that's all about. And I, I decided, okay, if, I, if they call again, I'm going to step out and take this phone call. And so my dad calls again like 30 seconds later, and I just say, i got to step out. I don't know what this is about. And so I pick it up, and my dad, on the other end of the phone, right when he starts talking, I could just tell something was wrong. And he said, Ryan, uh, earlier this morning, about an hour ago, your grandfather was crossing the street to go get the mail. They live on a highway. And there was a driver who was a distracted driver that veered out of control and hit him, and he died right there in front of his house. And, you know, you you sit on the other end of the phone, and it's just, it seems meaningless. Like, that's just a meaningless way to die. And I remember the next several days, just, I would watch my mom, and just watching her, and, and, just watching her just crushed by that. And 
We get to the, the funeral was um, a few days later. The day before the funeral, we uh, all gathered together as a family. And one thing you have to know about my grandfather, uh, he, he, was, he was a pastor. He was somebody that had a significant impact on hundreds of lives. I mean, you should have seen the funeral. There's so many people that were saying, I'm a Christ follower because of your, your grandfather. And for me personally, I mean, if you've been attending Life Church for a little while, you may even rem- remember like two months before that happened, I preached a sermon on him. And I had a video and, 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 and showed kind of his life and legacy. And so it was, it hit extremely hard for our family. And we're there gathered, and my uncle, he steps up and he just says, this was his dad, and he just says, don't have a lot of words, don't have a lot of, I, there's nothing I'm going to say that's going to make this any easier. But he said, here's what I know, and he said something to this effect. He, he said, here's what I know. We've always been a family that's worshipped God. And we've had a lot of great seasons that we've worshiped God through. And when he says worship God, he's saying literally like we as a family, and this might sound corny to some of you, but whenever we got together as a family, we sang worship songs together. My, and my grandfather led the charge. He, he said, we're going to sing, we're going to pray, and we're going to eat in that order. And we would sing together. It was a very musical family, a lot of worship leaders. He, we'd sing together, and then we are going to pray. And every time he would break down and just cry and cry and cry and then he'd dry it up and say, let's eat, and we'd go eat. That's, that was the dynamic in our family. And my uncle said, so we're going to do what we, what we know how to do, and we're going to worship together. And began leading some songs and led us in worship. And I just looked around the room, and I see everybody crying, but crying but worshiping. Crying but worshiping. And I think that's the picture of what that looks like to keep our eyes focused on the eternal. Yes, this hope that's leaking out is is really hard, really difficult. Don't make a lot of sense out of it. But yet I can still worship. Later that night, I'm watching my grandma most of the time because I just, I mean, she happened right in front of their house. She's right there. I just can't imagine what's going through her mind. I mean, this is her best friend. They They were a team in ministry to the point where the secret sauce was that she actually wrote sermons and, and my grandfather preached sermons. That they, they have that kind of partnership. And I'm just watching her, and she's worshiping but crying. And she comes up to me later that night, and she just says, uh, you're, you're reading a scripture tomorrow. And I said, yep, I, I got the scripture. I've been practicing it. She's like, well, I want to hear it. I said, right now? And she said, yeah, I want, you, I want to hear you read it. And so she makes me read the scripture to her. And right when I do, I, I, she's like, is, is that it? And I said, yeah. And she said, I, I really hope you don't read it like that tomorrow. It's <laughs> like, Grandma, what are you talking about? And she said, you didn't read it like you cared. You didn't read it with any amount of passion or conviction. And she said, there's people that are going to be at that funeral tomorrow that need to hear that. And they don't need somebody just standing up there reading it with a somber look on their face and with no uh, inflection, no excitement. Please don't read it that way tomorrow. And I'm like, let let me read it again. And so I tried it again, and she's like, okay, read it like that. Then she goes to my brother, and he sees this coming. 
goes, does the same thing with him. Then she goes to my poor brother-in-law, and he's just, you know, scared out of his mind, and, and I don't want to disappoint. But it communicated that even in the middle of her world just being shattered, that there was still a focus on the eternal. There was still a focus on making sure that his life was celebrated and that there was a full gospel message at that, at that funeral that we sang together, but that people were filled with hope at the end of that. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like to keep our focus on the eternal. I heard John Piper say it like this, and he kind of takes it even a step further in saying that your suffering's not meaningless. He's saying that it's producing something. He said, every millisecond of your pain and suffering is producing for you an eternal glory you will get because of that. That your suffering is not meaningless. The trials we go through are not just because, but that it's actually producing an eternal glory that you will see someday. I'll be honest with you, I don't know how that works. And I, I read a lot about that this week, trying to figure out if I could hear. It's just something that we will f- find out someday in heaven. What does that mean? But what I know is that our suffering, when we are in the path of obedience, that it will always produce an eternal weight of glory, that it will always produce glory on the other side of eternity. And so Paul says, fix your eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. And as we close, I, I want to read this scripture again. And I'd encourage you, maybe even close your eyes, let this just sink into your heart today. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work within us, but life is at work in you. It's written, I believed, therefore I have spoken since... We have that same spirit of faith we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that we have a hope in you. And right now, I'm sure there are people in this room that feel the hope leaking out of them. And God, right now, your, your, your word said, your word says that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And so when we cast those things onto you, that you have a way of filling us with all sorts of hope. And I just pray right now 
that you would do that in this room. I pray that you would teach us how to live this life Paul talks about. How we can leak hope but not lose heart. God, that's often easier said than done, but I pray today that you would help us do that. I pray right now, even as we've worshiped together and we've heard your word together and as we're about to give together, God, all of that, we pray that it would fill us with hope. I pray that we would stop trying to fix the leak, but we would focus on being renewed day by day, that we'd be focused on things that have eternal significance. We love you. We thank you for the hope that you give us. We thank you for the mercies that are new every morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.